Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. From our gospel reading today, John 11, verse 27. Martha says to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. This morning's message is entitled, The Coming One. Uh, One of my favorite memories of parenting my daughter Eden as a toddler was the uh, daily routine of going to pick her up from my grandmother's house. Uh, Not my grandmother's house, her grandmother's house. Um, My grandmother lives in Georgia. That would be quite the drive. But to pick her up from her grandmother's house, my routine looked like this. I'd get off of work, hear from the church, and I would text my mother-in-law, who is sitting right here, and I'd say, I'm on my way. I'm en route. And then in a frenzy, of course, they, behind the scenes, would be cleaning up the toys and things. And then my daughter would go to the window in the front room of their house and just sit at the window seal and wait with great anticipation for her dad to pull in the driveway to pick her up for the day. It's one of my favorite memories, that face in the window and just that hopeful anticipation of maybe the best moment of her day. I'm puffing myself up here. The moment she gets to hang out with dad. (laughs) It's this great anticipation, this hopeful anticipation that I'd like to talk about this morning. It's something I think we've all experienced on a very basic level. You know this feeling. It's the feeling of when your favorite binge-worthy series is about to release a new season. Not one episode at a time, but the whole season. You know that feeling. You're like, oh, come on, bring it on. Mandalorian, let's go, you know. This is the way. You know this feeling when you have maybe a loved one who you haven't seen in the longest time and they're flying into town for a visit and you're at the airport and you are waiting with great anticipation for their arrival. Maybe on a more painful level in the human experience, when we wait with great anticipation for the results from the doctor on a test that's been taken that will give us a conclusive answer on what is wrong, or maybe as we wait with great anticipation for a report about a loved one who is deathly ill. This gets closer to what Mary and Martha experienced in our gospel reading this morning. Mary and Martha watched as their brother Lazarus fought for his life, and when they see the severity of his sickness begin to decline, As he lays on the verge of death, they send for the one that they know can help. They send for the only one that they know who may have the power to heal. And as Jesus receives word of his beloved friend Lazarus and his sickness, we would assume that Jesus would, as the Bible says, make haste. (laughs) That he would come quickly to aid Lazarus, or maybe as he does for the centurion's family, he would just say to the messenger, go, Lazarus has been healed. He has the power to do this. He's done it before. And yet it says, Jesus remains where he was 
for two days. Why? We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. I know that some have made some assumptions. Uh, one commentator, uh, J. Ramsey Michaels, he, he, he proposes, he thinks, that Jesus maybe remains in prayer there for two days, praying that the body of Lazarus would not decay. And that's why later on in the story, when the stone is rolled away, there is no stench because his body was not given over to the decay of death, but preserved that Jesus might raise him to life. We don't know why Jesus remains for two days. And I think this is a question that plagues many of us throughout life, especially on the journey of faith, right? This question of why. Why God does or does not act or heal in certain times. Now, I don't have answers to this question this morning, but my hope is that this morning I can point us to the ultimate hope of the day that Jesus comes again, and in doing so, we will see the ultimate realization of his victory already won through his crucifixion and resurrection over sin and death, and on that day, we will see the resurrection of the dead. That is my hope this morning, is to point us to that ultimate hope in Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus does in the Lazarus story, which continues. Jesus, after two days, comes to Bethany, this little village right outside of Jerusalem. We know it's just two miles away from Jerusalem. It's there, just outside this incredible capital city, this holy city. This is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And as Jesus comes to Bethany, Martha received word that Jesus has finally come. And it says that Martha goes out to meet him. And as she does, we see Martha full of despair and grief as she speaks these words to Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And yet in the midst of her grief and despair, the next moment we see she is yet still holding on to hopeful expectation that God can still act with these words she confesses even now, even now. I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus assures Martha in this moment, your brother will rise again. Now the next conversation that happens in the story is Martha unknowingly making a connection that I want to focus on this morning. Martha makes the connection without knowing it. She's revealing that this unfolding miracle, the raising of her brother Lazarus, which is about to occur, is a foretaste of the ultimate defeat of death. We just sang about it in our song. I mean, those songs this morning, I was all fired up. I've been hanging out with the resurrection of Lazarus and the power of Jesus over sin and death, and we just sang about it for the last 15 minutes. Uh, and, and this is, this is what Martha connects in this next moment. She connects this unfolding miracle as a foretaste to the ultimate defeat of death with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and the final realization of that victory in the resurrection of the dead on the last day. John 11, verse 24, the story continues. After Jesus says, your brother will rise, Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. We've heard now the rest of the story this morning. We know how the story goes. Martha leaves this conversation with Jesus. She goes and gets her sister Mary. Mary comes to meet Jesus. She falls at his feet in great despair with the same words, if you had been here, my brother would not have died And then the Jews that were there consoling, grieving with Mary and Martha come with Mary as well to Jesus and the shortest verse in all of scripture, Jesus wept. Jesus commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And here we see Jesus weeps with those who are weeping. Though he knows he will raise Lazarus from the dead, he's already said it. To, to those, when he was in the place across from the Jordan, he says it again to Martha, but still he weeps. And they say, oh, he must have loved Lazarus deeply. If you've experienced grief, I want to say that you worship a God who has experienced your grief. And I don't know how to answer the question of why. I just know that God has subjected himself to the full experience of humanity on both the mountaintop and in the valley low. And we'll get to that in a bit. I can't get ahead of myself in the sermon. I don't want to spoil the end here. But Jesus weeps and then he says, where have you laid him? Oh my goodness, I can't help but to hear those words that Mary will speak at the end of our gospel story. Where have you laid my Lord? Where have you taken him? Jesus says to Mary, where have, you, where have you laid Lazarus? And they show up to the tomb, and then Jesus says, take away the stone. Come on, we're like two weeks from Easter. This is just pointing us to the resurrection of Christ over and over the language. We can't ignore it. That day where they come to the garden themselves, and they say the stone has been rolled away, and the tomb was empty. This tomb was not yet empty The stone is rolled away. Some object, it's been four days, there's going to be a stench, but Jesus speaks and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus walks from the tomb alive. And many believe in him. It's an amazing story. It's a beautiful story. The coming of Jesus to Bethany that day to raise the dead is a picture of what Jesus is doing in the world. Jesus is the coming one. Now, in this present moment, Jesus is the coming one. He is our very present help in time of need. And in the future to come, Jesus is still the coming one. As we confess today in our creed, we believe that he will come again. Jesus has come and is coming to bring life to what is dead in us and in the world. Amen. Martha was right in having a hopeful expectation that God will act because even in the midst of grief, she believes that God is a God of action. God is a God who never sleeps nor slumbers. And I believe that 
This is what God does. This is what God has always been doing. God is always acting. From before time and creation, God has been acting, and God's action is self-giving love. And it is the self-giving love that has been going forth from God since before creation. This is how Fleming Rutledge says it. We've been, uh, Pastor Derek put out just a, a quick, I don't know, it was a tweet or something before Lent. He says, I'm going to be reading The Crucifixion by Fleming Rutledge. This book on the crucifixion during the season of Lent. Who wants to join me? And man, it was like just floods of people joining. And then I have a serious case of FOMO in life, the fear of missing out. And so I was like, I got to get on the train here. And I ordered the crucifixion and I did not regret it. What an incredible work by Fleming Rutledge. This is what she says in her book, The Crucifixion. Listen, this is so good. The love that is God from the beginning does not suddenly become something different because of the unexpected emergence of sin and death calls for a new strategy. Quite the contrary, it is God's primal, immutable nature to expend God's self in love. It is God's innate, immutable, unchanging character, nature, essence of who God is to expend God's self to empty God's self, which can I say that God is infinite, so there is no end, but yet consistently and constantly from before time and creation, before any of existence, God existed, expending God's self in love. Now, I began to really understand this as, the beautiful, as a part of this beautiful gospel about 10 years ago when Pastor Brian presented us with the gospel in chairs. You remember that? How many of you have seen the gospel in chairs? Yeah, I'm curious, really. Like, how many of you have seen that before, either here or on YouTube? Uh, but this is, what, this is what I propose, that after a decade, all sermon illustrations are open source, right? <laughs> like, they become free to use for any preacher and pastor. Uh, I don't know what the threshold is, but I'm calling it a decade. Pastor Brian's YouTube video of this is officially 11 years old. Steve, Steve Robinson, who he got it from, that video is 12 years old. Steve got it from Anthony Carbo in Colorado Springs. This actually comes from a couple Orthodox ministers, but it's so good for us. And I believe that it'll help us understand um, this hopeful expectation that we can have in Christ this morning. This is what's called the gospel in chairs. And, and as I said, as Fleming Rutledge proposes, that God has been expending God's self in love since before time and creation. And out of that love, God creates the world. He speaks and existence breaks forth. The cosmos is created. And right in the middle of creation at the center God, out of God's self, which is love, God empties himself in a creative act to create mankind in his image, in God's likeness. And God and man in love walk in intimacy in the cool of the morning in the garden. All is well until what Fleming Rutledge names the unholy trinity enters the story. Sin, death, and the devil the unholy trinity enters our story with the fall and now humanity sins and turns 
our back on God. Can I just make a point that it's humanity who turns our back on God? That God, you will see, God never turns God's back on humanity, on God's creation. God is always, has always, and will always be expending God's self in love. Amen? And so humanity turns their back on God and sins and now is subject to death. And this is the big problem. Sin is now under what Colossians calls the dominion of darkness. We are now under the power of sin and death. But as we see just from the next story with Cain and Abel, we see this dominion of darkness take place and yet God comes in the middle of this story. He comes to Cain and says, sin is crouching at your door. Cain still continues in his sinful ways under the power of sin and death and slays his brother Abel. And yet God still comes to him and in an act of mercy marks him to protect him from revenge and sends him away. Abraham is given a promise that he will be a father of many nations and yet him and his wife are barren. And so Abraham does as many of us do. He loses patience with God and takes matters into his own hands. And he has Hagar who has a son who's not a part of God's promise but we see the nature of God to expend God's self in love blesses Hagar and her son and still fulfills the promise to Abraham by giving him his son Isaac. Over and over again, we see the people of God turning from God and God expending God's self in love, chasing after his people with mercy. And God sees his people in bondage and he comes to deliver them in the great exodus and leads them out of bondage. Then in the wilderness, we see God's people complaining and grumbling. They're hungry, so God comes again and provides manna and quail And yet they're still not happy and they turn from God again and yet God still leads them into the promised land. Do you see the very nature of God is unchangeable? God is always chasing after humanity to expend God's self in love. Until humanity in the dominion of darkness enslaved under the power of sin and death God, Emmanuel, God with us, puts on human nature, enters human nature. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. The light comes into the darkness. God himself joins humanity in our nature that he might heal our nature, that he might set us free from the bondage of sin and death by entering that very dominion of darkness himself. And so God comes, expending God's self and love, and he finds a man who has compromised all the values he was raised with. He's colluded with the oppressing empire, the Romans. He's become a tax collector. And going beyond just fulfilling a duty or a job that was looked down upon by his people, he takes advantage of his position of power as a tax collector And he steals from people. He manipulates people. You could see him as a kind of mob boss. But a day comes when he hears that Jesus, 
This man who everyone's talking about has come to his town and he must go out to see him. So he climbs up in a tree and there God meets him and says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, we're having lunch today at your house. And as they sit down at a table, Zacchaeus experiences salvation in the form of the love of God joining him for a meal. And he says, whatever I'm going, to take, I'm going to take half of my possessions and give it to the poor. And whatever I've cheated someone, I'll pay them back four times over. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. A woman, we talked about her a couple weeks ago, from a town named Sychar, among a people who have been rejected, has lived a life under the dominion of darkness. She's experienced the bondage of sin and death, the death of five marriages, and now she lives with a man who's not her husband. This is a woman who experiences the pain of this bondage to sin and death. And she comes alone at noon to the well. And there at the well in the midst of her pain and rejection and loneliness, God meets her, tells her all that she's ever done sees her for who she is and yet expends God's self in love and offers her living water that would bring life to her soul that her thirst would be quenched forever. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. God expending God's self in love so that there is a woman who is caught in adultery and I won't get into, but I have to mention it's just the woman who is accused here, but it takes two to tango, as we say speaks to the system that is operating under the dominion of darkness. But yet this woman, who we see is in bondage to sin and death, and now the law is perpetuating that dominion of darkness by saying her sin of adultery leads to her death by stoning. And a crowd gathers around this woman with fingers of accusation pointed and righteous indignation as they see it in their hand, as they hold their stones God comes among them and kneels with her and begins to draw in the dirt. And then God looks at the crowd and says, the one among you who has no sin cast the first stone. And one by one, beginning with the eldest among them, they drop their stones and walk away. And now, the love of God speaks to this woman and says, woman, where are your accusers? I have none, sir. Nor do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Be free from the bondage of sin and death. And a man, because of the randomness of this power of sin and death, which manifests itself at times in sickness, is a paralytic. He has friends who hear of this Jesus of Nazareth who has the power to heal, the power to set people free from the bondage of sickness. They open a hole in the roof where Jesus, of the house that Jesus is in, and they lower this man face to face with the love of God. And the words come forth from the mouth of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. 
Who has the authority to forgive sins but God alone? God in human flesh speaks, your sins are forgiven. But God doesn't just forgive sins. God moves beyond forgiveness into justice and he sets right the things that are wrong in the world. He makes all things right, including what has been wrong in this man's body. And the next words he speaks to this man is, rise up, take your mat and walk. This man is both forgiven and made whole. And now humanity, motivated with fear and pride and greed, committed to systems which are oriented around an axis of power and force through violence, still under the dominion of darkness, enslaved to the power of sin and death. They betray God. They condemn God. They spit upon God, they mock God, they scourge God, and they crucify God. And with nails in his hands and in his feet, he speaks from the cross the words of forgiveness, expending God's self in love. Just as God has always done since before time and creation, we see here on this cross, God speaks the words of forgiveness in the face of those who would kill him. So that now humanity, when humanity goes into death, as Lazarus has done, as many of our loved ones have done, as humanity goes into death, as we make our bed in the place of the dead, there God breathes his final breath upon that cross and enters with humanity into death so that now God says, though you make your bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, I am there. I am there so that now the one who has descended is also the one who ascended, that he might fill all things with himself. Even death is filled with the presence of Jesus so that now to die is not to experience death, but to experience the presence of Jesus. That God has gone into death and from that place he takes the keys of Hades and he says from that place, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he die, will live. And he that lives and believeth in me will never die. Amen. Come on, this is good news. This is salvation. This is what God is doing. God is always acting, expending God's self and love that he might save and redeem and restore and reconcile and rectify all that has gone wrong. The ultimate and final enemy that is wrong in the world is death itself. And Jesus stands victorious because he has gone through the cross into death and is now raised on the third day as the risen king who says, I am the resurrection and the life. So in our lives... This momentous truth is distilled in our lives on a daily basis here and now. So that many times it looks like this in our life. Come on, there is no height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. 
in Christ Jesus. This is good news this morning. This is good news. I'm so fired up because of the love of God and the goodness of God and the victory of Jesus. It's good news this morning. Amen. At the end of the Gospel of John, he echoes the words of Martha. In fact, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, this is what John writes. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. We talked about some of them. But he did many others, which were not written in this book. But these, these stories we heard of, these were written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. Because we are all Lazarus. We are all Lazarus, aren't we? Jean Veneer, I'm going to close with this, writes, Aren't we all Lazarus? Are there not parts in each one of us that are dead, caught up in a culture of death? All that is dead in us, more or less hidden in our unconscious self in the shadow areas or the tomb of our being, provokes a kind of death around us. We judge and condemn and push people down, wanting to show that we are better than them. We refuse to listen to those who are different, and so we hurt them. All these destructive acts have their origin in all that is dead within us, all that creates a stench in the hidden parts of our being, which we do not want to look at or admit. This is what Jesus wants for each one of us today. To each of us, he says, take away the stone. Maybe we, like Martha, cry out, no, it's too dirty, it smells too bad. But at his command, maybe the stone is removed and Jesus can call us by name and cry out, come out. We can then rise up a bit more whole and holy with the spirit of Jesus in us. We are being put together again. We can let the light of Jesus penetrate all the darkness within us. Yes and amen. Amen. Would you stand on your feet with me? This is what Jesus comes to do, to let his light penetrate the world, overcoming the dominion of darkness, the powers of sin and death. And then it gets distilled down into our lives today. That future glory that is to come that future event is also a person named Jesus who is present here at this table with us this morning as he was with Zacchaeus all those years ago. And he offers his body and he sheds his blood that we might participate in the very life of God in Christ and be set free from the dominion of darkness and brought into his kingdom. Amen. Let us confess our sins together find absolution and forgiveness, and then let us come and participate in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus together. Would you join me in this confession? 
Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, I say to you, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. And it is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. For it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who would want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.